What up? I'm Jesse, and we are the Epoch of Incredulity. This week's Incredulous installment will feature commentary from comrades Scott, Joe, Maggie, and myself. We've had an absolutely absurd news cycle, so we've recapped the most salacious of stories before delving into a very special analysis of imperialism. We begin with the imperialist characteristics described by Vladimir Lenin a century ago. I tell the story of a familiar nation which has come to embody the very worst of those tendencies. Joe takes us to the Eurozone for a foray and a financial fuckery, and we ice the cake with a ballad of Bavarian brutality. First thing to realize is that the true Marxist has to put all his eggs in one basket. Because point number one in the doctrine of Marx is economics is the only factor which determines the course of history. That's a pretty narrow basket to put all your eggs in. All I had to do with this new fucking computer, I'm looking at it, I'm like, what is this thing? It's new pewter. <laughs> all I had to do was change the... Uh, the settings that now my system settings are the are the soundboard for input. It seems very silly, but I finally figured it out. Uh, so this week we're going to run through some quick stories. We didn't start the fire style. To begin with, uh, they have released the, the footage from the Uvalde shooting. And like we predicted and like The Onion said, uh, the cops just kind of stood around and did nothing. And even to the point where like they heard shots in the classrooms and they just like didn't do anything. You know, like they didn't do anything for a further 45 minutes after hearing shots in the classrooms so shots 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 that's what they heard that's yeah and they did nothing about it because the cops are like it's really starting to feel more than ever that like law enforcement is being particularly incompetent to let crime happen to justify the existence of law enforcement and if you can't see what's happening then i don't know it's just it's the prisoners thing again of just like law enforcement is deliberately incompetent and lets crime happen so that there is further justification for politicians to say that we need more money toward law enforcement. And it's a self-perpetuating cycle that creates a broken society that pits everyone against each other. So you have this hyper masculine, hyper individualist capitalist society. It's all connected. Uh, I'm I'm basically a conspiracy theorist now. No, I'm not. Anyway, but they do it on both ends. <laughs> they're like, oh, they're incompetent. We need more money, and then they're like, oh, these are our, oh, like yes. is our front line. We need to give them tanks. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I'm talking about. But they keep forgetting the car keys in the in the tank. Yeah, yes. but they, yeah, no, they don't know how to use the tank, and then they fucking firebomb a fucking house in where was it like Ohio, and they kill like a 14 year old kid or whatever. Oh, yeah, because yeah. they put their yeah. lives on the line every yeah. every day. <laughs> they put their they lives on the line to kill children every day. serving, Scott. Have a little more respect for God. Uh, yeah, heroes. children are very dangerous. 14-year-old yeah, has his own tank. You never know. It's true. Yeah. yeah. What if he's a communist? Yeah. 
Prince. And as I was just recently informed, uh, due to pressures in his party, Boris Johnson stepped down. That's in England, though. I realized, actually, coupling that with the rest of the stories, like, who gives a shit? And actually, like, and Shinjo Abbey got shot. But again, these things happen. It's funny. I just, I just like it because it's funny. funny. Think about it. It's pretty wild that, like, wild, baby. two members of the wild. G7 get knocked off in the space of 19 hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love democracy. That is what yes. I love the republic. The democracy of a shotgun, of, a, of an improvised shotgun. Uh, See? So, yeah. glorified, the shotgun looks like a glorified science bracket, so we can say, hooray for science! Yeah, we can say hooray for improvised. Kind of explosives. does speak a lot for like duct tapes, you know. <laughs> pretty You know, uh, I was right that duct tape is a solution commodity. to most problems. Yes. Very good. Totally. Truly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. I'm sorry. And then, yeah, there's more funny stuff happening. Elon is now getting sued uh, by Twitter for for stepping out of the contractually obligated purchase of that website. So uh, it's wonderful. Hopefully they sue him for a lot and hopefully it hurts him. You know. No chance of that. Honestly, at this point, it's like the legal equivalent of mutually assured destruction. Yeah. There's no way that he's going to fucking come out of this, like, looking okay. Yeah. Tesla stock plummeted. Hemorrhaging money. It's all going down, baby. That tech sector. You put all your money in that? Uh Uh-oh. Here comes the next bubble. It is a little bit surprising to me that a guy worth that much money... He, it's like he, he's just like a fucking drunk kid with a pen. Like, <laughs> he could have, like, hired a yeah. consultant or something, you know? But he's just, like, shitposting his way into, into... He never got that in high school. He's shitposting his way into financial ruin. You yeah. know that he, he, no one ever gave him his comeuppance. No one ever told him how funny and witty he was. But now he tweets, like... No, and he'll get like sixty five thousand likes and retweets, and he's like a he, he he's tweets a picture from Elden Elden Ring, and it's like okay, dude. Yeah, but I mean, even according to his own logic, most of those retweets and likes are from Twitter bots. So doesn't matter when you see that number, baby. When you see that number at the at the bottom of your screen, he gets a semi for sure. He loves it. He enjoys the attention. A weird semi at that. We know. We now know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Also, he has like this whole drove of like secret children. Uh, Nine. Nine of them. God damn it. He has, ugh. Everybody's got a secret child right now. But I mean, I will say though, he, I mean, as far as like famous, wealthy baby daddies go, he, the reason we found out about this is because the mother of those twins went to court to have the twins have his last name and he wanted it. Like he wasn't like trying to deny them. And they were born, like, right before Grimes had her baby, like, Ampersand or whatever the fuck they named it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah um, by surrogate, which I didn't realize was by surrogate until just now. Oh, re- oh until, really? So Grimes yeah. didn't even get, oh, come on. Nope. Oh, she didn't even have on. the baby. That's another That's like, gross thing that I think is, like, is going to be looked I at. I really don't like Grimes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I really, no, neither do I. I'm with you on that. That's Two points, dude, because, like, Grimes is the worst. And also, like, I also feel kind of bad for her because, like, I feel like she doesn't really fit in or know what she got into with Elon. Like, they were having – they were fighting on Twitter uh, about – I think it was trans commentary and – she was like schooling him and it was like this is literally your husband like why didn't you guys talk about this stuff before you fucking got married and had a child 
I have heard to a degree that that is like there is a bit of like a kayfabe kind of staged quality to the, all that stuff. At least like the stuff that they do mm-hmm. on social media yeah. or the stuff that she does on social media. Thank you, Jesse. A lot of that is Ugh. meant to, like if you're trying to like own her, then like you are like you're falling for it. But it's like yeah. that doesn't also prevent the fact that like you're also being like really fucking like annoying and problematic in and of yourself like it's that's the thing yeah it's like it does it also it doesn't quell the fact that you're also being an asshole <laughs> oh no absolutely not the fact that she is like this much woker than elon does not mean that she is by any means some kind of like bastion of like it's like saying that you're like a less terrible person than a nazi that's a very low bar to clear yeah, like okay, so she notices some of Elon's glaring character flaws, but she also married him. Yeah, Did they she's get also married? yeah, yeah, married. Yeah, married for like two years. Potentially hugely benefiting financially. Well, oh, absolutely. Are you assu- kidding assuming me? Assuming that, assuming get that, that back so you can make that music. Like, absolutely. Music what is the point of fucking Elon if you're not getting the bag? Is all I'm yeah. saying. Mm? And she Everyone. like preserved her beautiful vagina by having um, a surrogate. So exactly. <laughs> all of. Um, I mean that that was her. That was obviously that? her thought process. It was like I'm not going to deal with this fucking just her. I definitely think it was Elon's as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. Trust me. Yeah. I do think that is one of the grossest things that rich culture does in America is like have surrogate babies. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's like, poor person should carry my baby. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It is. It is actually like, it's so, it is repulsive. It's like, I don't know. Like, like if, if you have a, if you have a health reason for not wanting to carry your baby, fine. If you were just wealthy and you're like, I don't want to ruin my figure, but I want to have a child. (laughs) <laughs> Let me pay this poor woman with great genes $50,000 to go nine months in pregnancy with my baby, my and my husband's baby, and then give birth to it. Like, I, when I think about the woman who had the baby, the feelings and the emotions that she must feel, this baby was, like, kicking inside of her tummy. And she has to, like, literally give it away to this rich lady and like yeah it's her egg it's her sperm whatever but like no emotional or physical it's her sperm (laughs) well yeah yeah, it's hers yeah it can happen but at the same time not in this case though this woman is 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 handsomely paid for for it's grimes's sperm in this case yes Also learned that that another Joe's son, Joe Biden's son Hunter, oh, is a stone called pimp. Absolute we love him. Bossa Nova. Yeah, we love him. Watch out, Hunter. Yeah, I really have nothing negative to say about Hunter. Like he's free to be whoever the fuck he wants. Who cares? No. You know, Funny. Hunter, Hunter out of all of us, Hunter got his phone hacked into. And yeah. I think like, you Fuck know, stop, stop invading his like, privacy. You know, so many of us could have our phones hacked into and there would be unfavorable things that people could pull out. And with Hunter, I mean, unsavory, maybe, but unfavorable, I think not. Hunter Biden, his phone got hacked. It's not fair. Leave that pimp alone. Leave that Hunter alone. tiger out in the wild. He's got a tiger. Oh my god, leave a tiger out in the wild. Wow. 
Hunter Hell Biden. Hell of a way to describe Hunter Biden. <laughs> you know what? Hunter Biden can get it. He, like, he's... he's <laughs> just Hunter Biden fucks. He's clearly... I mean, he does, clearly. A loose, he does. He's, he's clearly, clearly a loose cannon, but, like, honestly, you like to see it. Is he really a such a problem loser. for, like, the president? Like, he's who cares? He's definitely the most based Biden. I'll put exactly. Yeah, yeah, like, you know what? And he's been through a shitload. Like, he, you know... Like, their dog fucking sucks way harder than he does. Their dog sucks way <laughs> Wait, harder than Wait, what's the dog's does? name? What do you mean about... What? Um, something, soldier or some something? Old, or some old major. white guy military name. Like yeah, it is a military name. It's shit. not It's not major or soldier or trigger. It's uh, general? No. I, I don't know. It is, I think it is major. Is it major? Major, yeah. Did you Google? Yeah. I'm pretty sure it is. It is. Major. Major Joe Biden's dog. <laughs> I love it. I love Major. I'm on Major's side. Major is he can a German can fight shepherd. Someone. Yeah, Major. Good. Major oh, is good. doing praxis. Mm-hmm. Major's like I didn't ask to be adopted into the Biden fucking oh, family, yeah. but now Champ. that I'm in the White House, I'm gonna do what I can. His name is Champ. No, there was a Champ. There was also was Champ, which was their uh, other German shepherd who died last year. Who remembers Barack Obama's dog's name? Um, oh. It was Bo. B-O. Bo and Sonny. Bo and Sonny. Yes, exactly. And, and I, it took me forever to realize B.O. is Barack Obama's initials. So Guess you didn't have any fucking pets. Who, so which I one? thought Bo was oh, short George? for like Bo No, Trump didn't have any pets. Oh, Trump. George had like several dogs. I, mean, I bet. I bet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. George strikes me as very much an animal Trump, person. Trump had a fucking Jeff Sessions. No, Trump did not. <laughs> He had that little leprechaun, that's true, yeah. No, but it totally tracks that Trump would be the president who did not want to have an animal. He's like, yeah. ugh, why would not, I... Not, not even for his freak son. His freak son played Of course that he gets no joy from animals. That's not something that's for, very for, human. Like, What's the kid's name again? Baron? Uh, Baron. Baron, yeah, not for freakish... freakish uh, I don't like to make fun of Baron because the thing is, is like Baron. I'll make kid. fun of how tall he is. <laughs> he's too tall. I don't. He's like seventeen. Well, his dad is fucking huge. He's very tall. So. Oh yeah, Trump is like six three. Trump is really yeah. tall. You're right. He's really yeah. tall. Yeah. So you know. And Baron is like seven two. And I think Melania is tall. She's a model, so I'm sure she's yeah. like five eight. And he got, yeah, he got the lottery card that you draw. Sure it's fucking be tall, but you're gonna be freaks. fucking tall. Yeah, rich dude. people yeah. are always inbred, dude. Mm-hmm. That's look true. at those. Look at the look at the noses and the chins of the royal family. At a certain point, they're all they're all. It's a freak show. Just trace hemophilia back to yeah. the ages. Yeah, freak show. Anyways, did it. <laughs> do you want to talk about uh, imperialism? And go off and, t- and educate us about the history of Amer- Amer- American imperialism. Sure. Did you? I- if I may. Who said if I may? Is that the soundboard? Jeff Goldblum said if I may in Jurassic <laughs> Park. Uh, okay. And I, and I hit that Life uh, finds a way. It does. You know? <clears throat> okay. That is one big pile of shit. You know? yeah. Life is one big pile Joe, of shit. Joe, as, wait, before we start. Joe, as a uh, fellow Irish person. <laughs> um, have you been following the 11th night bonfires and like all the drama with that in Ireland right now where the Protestants are having all the bonfires for culture? What are, um, what are, what are my horrible people doing? No, but enlighten me. Okay, so every uh, year on like 11th night, which was yesterday night and then like through, there's these bonfires 
basically Protestants like do these huge bonfires and they put up uh, Sinn Féin political people pictures on them and also the tricolor flag and then they burn them and they have like kill all tags everywhere and they're just like oh this is like a cultural thing it's a tradition so basically it's like the uh ulster fascist idea of yes. like a kkk bonfire every year exactly and i saw this amazing video today where um the no marching clue. brigade i can't remember what the marching brigade is called but they just like they're like going through this town in belfast and like playing their music and this kid comes out and he's got the tricolor thing like on his uh stoop he comes out and he takes like a recycling bin and throws it at them and then like goes back into his house and they jump the fence they broke his window insane but i just thought super crazy interesting summer festival event going on i thought you might have seen it but maybe you can check that out and we'll talk about it later you know it's jokes on them because Sinn Féin is currently in power in northern yep. ireland so jokes on them i think that's probably why they're they so the fascist crazy right party? now no no Sinn Féin's they're oh. the socialists okay. i don't know what the fuck i don't know ireland well come on bro let's just learn it your, you should learn your awesome yeah look 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 we're equally oppressed by the british thing that i'm scottish marxist paul true. just put a video about I think uh, james connelly on the awful little island you can do with it what you want i'm <laughs> sorry <laughs> No, I'm, you know. It's kind of wild, like, working in Charlestown where fucking 99% of my clients are Irish. And, like, yep. they, like, don't understand that the IRA was a Marxist guerrilla army. <laughs> yeah, the IRA is a Marxist guerrilla army. And I didn't know that. Okay, oh, yeah. we can't. We can't. Shaquille <laughs> Okay, let's we'll do on. an episode on the IRA some other time. <laughs> yeah, I genuinely yeah. didn't know that. It's, it is per- pertinent to uh, British imperialism, but... but go off. We'll go turn off. the clock Up both the back and forward, I guess. Oh. I don't know. So, basically, the reason that I am doing this is because patrons, at least, have heard the full narration of Lenin's imperialism pamphlet. And um, I started reading that pretty much around the time of the... Russian offensive against Ukraine, just so that I could, for myself, get a better idea of a a Marxist-Leninist framing of imperialism, rather than just like the vague definition that fucking what Kamala Harris said something like, "Well, Russia is a big country and Ukraine is a small country." Yeah, pretty much. Kamala doesn't doesn't say things. The big country is going to the small country. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So basically, that's wrong. Um, no, seriously, like like the recent interview where she's like, she kept saying like, we have to try to keep trying to do like it's like what what it's like what? we understand. She was like, this was settled. We understood. This yeah. was settled law, so that bit we because we thought it we was settled. That it's settled. And so this it pr- this settled. is proof we'll that we are living in the unsettling of time. <laughs> uh, these people can't meet the moment anyway. Sorry. So the the primary points. These are you know some of the. The hallmarks of imperialism, which, according to his analysis, which is, I would argue, definitely one of the best and is still totally pertinent to the modern global economic order. These were the major points that he distilled. So you have the end of free competition, the beginning of concentration of industry, explicit agreements between firms. And this is what we think of as monopoly capitalism or oligopoly. This is like Econ 101 shit. Um, Lenin started to see the sort of development of 
he called them cartels, but the development of the cartels basically at the turn of the century. Love that word. That is 1900, not 2000. Lenin died a long time ago. <laughs> Rest in power. Died young too, relatively. Yeah, I mean, he was he was pretty like jacked and fit, and he didn't get assassinated probably. So he was one of the lucky ones. He survived into adult Chadhood, I and would then say. His brain exploded, basically. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you have the uh, the end of he free had competition. So much knowledge that his brain blew up. Sure, it's the official medical diagnosis mm-hmm. Anyways, of the time. Sorry, I was peak <laughs> peak <laughs> medical knowledge. Uh, so then you have the concentration of banking, uh, which looks like a hierarchical dependency upon you know a select few big banks through multi-layered holding systems and subsidiaries in which banks issue credit for favorable arrangements with industry and we think of this or we would call this finance capital um he also identified the surplus capital invested in peripheral territories outsourcing of production to where land labor and materials are cheap and the lenders stipulate that the borrowers purchase manufactured goods from the imperial core. We would call this export of capital. This is like, I didn't even get into this in my chunk, you know, all the research that I did. But this is extremely pertinent to the situation. What used to be the situation in Mexico, less so now, but like Venezuela, I've talked about this before, exporting crude oil and then importing the refined oil back into the country because they don't have the infrastructure to refine it themselves. Um, Another thing that was pretty significant was that uh, Lenin wrote the imperialism pamphlet. There was no more land that was just up for grabs. There was no more land left to conquer. So the only thing that the world's powers could do was divide the land amongst each other. And their colonial possessions... They, they maintained a flow of raw materials from the colonized people to the colonizer. And the aforementioned cartels would come to agreements to basically carve up the global market. So like, you know, we'll get these materials from, from this part of Asia and we'll, you know, we'll trade steel on these terms with these tariffs. Again, this will be very important. Um, and so like, basically, in conclusion, those four points coalesces into imperialism characterized by monopolization, finance capital, export of capital, and neocolonialism, which I would define roughly as a sort of remote-controlled colonialism by careful division and management of the world's capital rather than direct political control or military intervention. Because it's pretty clear to see, you know, when the United States particularly is engaging in just brute force imperialism, but there's a lot of shit that happens through financial arrangements and banking and all this shit. And that's actually what Joe's going to get into with the banking. But this is as much of an outline as I could carve out in the time that I had. So I'm going to start actually after World War II. Wait a minute. Okay. Maggie has her hand raised. What? Jesse. Yes. <laughs> um, I think it would be helpful. Can you explain a little bit about why you feel like this is an important topic to disseminate? You kind of explained it a little bit just there, but like, what? I think it's helpful for the listener because I myself have not listened to your full imperialism. Like for you, what's the importance and purpose of disseminating this other than just the knowledge of it? Because it explains exactly how we arrived at the current global configuration that we're in. Okay. And it also gives us some 
some hints of what's to come. <laughs> Not good. With uh, China emerging as a financial power and its use of the Belt and Road Initiative. Like, I didn't actually say any of this in my analysis because I was just kind of mm. going through the history, but seeing how these financial arrangements come to be and using that as a guide for making predictions about the future. I would argue that is what makes Marxism a useful framework for understanding power. Absolutely. Sweet. Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm like very self-critical about this. There's going to be points at which I might need help from Joe to explain this. Um, Starting after World War II. Yeah. So the United States, having made it through World War II, basically unscathed, uh, I mean, aside from, the, you know, what happened in fucking Pearl Harbor, asserted itself as the world's... Sorry. <laughs> I just laughed so hard. Sorry. Pretty flippant. <laughs> asserted itself as the world's economic anchor. And in the year 1944, representatives from all 44 allied nations met in Bretton Woods, New Hampshire, to develop an international system for exchange of goods and currency. And this conference, this Bretton Woods conference... Uh, resulted in the creation of both the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, and the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development, or IBRD, the latter of which would later be incorporated into the World Bank. So those are two, those are the two acronyms that are going to be used probably the heaviest for now, IMF, IBRD. The, okay, so the IMF was established initially as a shorter term mechanism for relief to stabilize exchange rates and uh, it stipulated that the currency of all member states would be pegged to the U.S. dollar, using the equivalent in gold as a quote-unquote common denominator, which basically means that any financial transactions between the nations that were included in, these, in the Bretton Woods Conference, they all agreed that, like, okay, the, the U.S. dollar is, like, stable as it pertains to, you know, there's a fucking, it's backed by a real thing right now, and that being gold, and so, like, now that we've been, like, destroyed by fucking bombs and our infrastructure is fucked and our currency is going crazy, like, our, our own economies can function in accordance with this stable U.S. dollar. And if they weren't going to themselves use the U.S. dollar, they were going to need to use a currency that was also tied directly to gold or, you know, had an, an exchange rate where you could... Can you explain that, Joe? What, the exchange rates? Yeah, just like how, you know, the like how an exchange rate works, because eventually the, the dollar would be uncoupled from gold. So basically, it, uh, it just really has to do with the, the money supply, because of the fact it's backed by uh, like rare metal. You can only have so many dollars in circulation. Yes. Because there's like an actual finite value. Yes. And so that means that like... There's like an inherent limit on like spending. One dollar equals like X grams of uh, quartz or whatever the fuck. So there's like a limit on how much in capital investment can be made or how much money can be exchanged one way or the other. Because like one central bank might have less uh, in way of gold reserves than like another. And it's actually interesting. I'll be getting into uh, my end of it. The fact that like all central banks still make foreign currency uh, exchange swaps in dollars rather than in their own currencies. Thank you. That was a beautiful explanation. There is a real-world limited supply of a rare metal. Thus, it has a stable value 
that everybody can subscribe to and agree this and is how much this shit standard. is worth. Yes, the gold, the gold standard. That's the fucking. I don't know that, why that didn't come gold to me. Standard, yeah. <laughs> come on. That's yes. That is where that <laughs> where that term comes from. God damn it. All right. So, but what this means is that <laughs> that means like all countries that would be doing business with the United States that would become indebted to the United States would have to purchase goods from the United States at American prices. Eventually, this means that when the dollar is uncoupled from gold, the dollar depreciates in value yet because it's it's been baked into these agreements. Other nations still have to purchase commodities from us at our own prices, which is fucking wild. And I, I already actually had that in my note to self. A note, Nixon would unpeg the dollar from gold in 1971 to prevent American gold reserves from being depleted. Okay, so the IBRD, remember that's the uh, International Bank for Reconstruction and Development, was established to ostensibly rebuild the infrastructure and economies of allied countries through long-term credit arrangements. Both the IMF and IBRD were set up under a false pretense of democratic representation, and that is member states had equal representation on the board of governors, which then voted on its own president. But voting power was proportional to contributions. So if the United States has more money, the United States has more voting power and basically sole veto power in this process. So this predictably cemented European and American leadership of the IMF and World Bank, respectively, from that point forward. Like, this is still basically an American project. You know, it's actually interesting. The norm is that uh, the head of the World Bank is an American, and then the Europeans get to pick who runs the IMF. That's pretty much like the informal like convention. Yep. The current president of the World Bank is actually Mike Bloomberg. Big gay ice cream is the best. Motherfucking Bloomberg. Hmm. I'm trying to pick out the most important bits here. So following the war, the Truman Doctrine was enacted in 1947. Uh. Excuse me. To curb the expansion of socialism, followed by the Marshall Plan in 1948. And that latter plan, the Marshall Plan, served in part to bolster the development of industrial capitalism in Western Europe for the preservation of liberal trade between Europe and America. So all of these agreements, one way or another, do end up benefiting the American economy. And uh, that's solely as a function of how unscathed the United States was after World War II, in my opinion. I mean... If you fucking, if you disagree with me, I don't know, send us a voicemail and complain about it. Uh, note that Stalin rejected the terms of agreement, which would have ceded parts of the Soviet economy to Western control. So at one point he did take money from the United States from fucking, I think it was like Rockefeller or something. Uh, he never paid it back, which is pretty based. Um, the intergovernmental organization that was established to administer this economic restructuring, the, you know, rebuilding of Western Europe and the other allied nations. It was initially called the Organization for European Economic Cooperation, but it would rebrand itself later in 1961 as the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or OECD. Um, also established in 1947 was a framework of trade agreements collectively known as GATT, the General Agreements on Tariffs and Trade, which will become more important later on. For now, I'll basically say, like, the participating nations laid out terms on which uh, <laughs> initially it was, you, you can't do protectionism. This all has to be free trade between countries. And then the second the second term was, uh, here's how you can do protectionism if you need to or if you want to. <laughs> so <laughs> the, that contradiction obviously is going to be advantageous 
for the United States so that it can it can hold indebted nations to a different standard than it holds itself. But it was also useful. It was advantageous for Europe in establishing like its own steel and coal syndicate. Because remember, the, the UK is basically still one of the three imperial powers. Um, it's only more recently that like it doesn't really seem like it has any fucking teeth. For a very long time, it was the US, the UK, and Japan. It has teeth. It has teeth just as a colonial giant. So does France, I guess. Not in the same way. Yeah, not in this. Not in the same way. Like they still have. Like they just could be the quiet overseer. Yeah, but like the British economy is not as relevant as it was in the in the you know at the turn of the 20th century. That's what I was trying to convey. That was when the imperialism pamphlet was written. And since then, the only countries that have even come close to America's share of the global GDP have been the Soviet Union, Japan, and now China. So, nations that were emerging from war and the ruins of colonial domination, they had little option but to seek financial aid from the IBRD, working groups within the OECD, Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, uh, were tasked with dictating the terms on which funds would be allocated, i.e. they would incentivize private investment in countries where public programs were desperately needed. Um, And these economic prescriptions often granted the United States access to raw materials, avenues for trade, and exploitative profiteering. Worse still, indebted nations, and particularly of the global south, were forced to spend an ever-increasing share of export profits to service their debts. And this feedback loop of continued dependence on the World Bank, this mandatory capitalistic restructuring and growing interest on loans made these indebted nations increasingly vulnerable to political influence and U.S. military occupation and expansion. And the United States also expanded banking to further its economic stranglehold on global finance with branches and subsidiaries in 55 different countries by the year 1967. And these banks especially profited from the financial transactions required for military operations in those countries. So that's another example of how this uh, finance capital indirectly leads to war profiteering or facilitates war profiteering. It is a win-win for the United States in that case. You have military contractors who fucking pump out tons and tons and tons of weapons, and that becomes additionally profitable for American-based banking institutions. Does that make sense? Yes. It does. Yes. Okay. Um, This is like a good break from all the fucking confusing acronyms and everything. Here's a good time to reflect on the degree of opportunism required to establish this new global financial order with the United States. Everybody's basically eating out of the trough put out by the United States. Um, Because on the surface, the United States was super lucky solely as a function of its physical location, almost entirely isolated from the warfare that devastated the former empires of Europe and Asia. But... We have to remember that America was founded on the genocide of its indigenous occupants. The land was terraformed and farmed with African slave labor, and the infrastructure was built by basically indentured servants fleeing famine in their own countries. And the ownership of that land was ultimately held by and transferred between white European settlers fucking from the UK. Well, from Great Britain, primarily. So... (sighs) 
The United States, I would say, arguably, again, you can fucking send us a voicemail if you disagree. The United States has always acted as an exclave of the British Empire, but one which granted itself the freedom to exploit labor and resources away from any existing geopolitical pressure. Because we have Canada to the north and Mexico to the south, and Mexico was, like I said, probably one of the biggest victims of this the economic restructuring that, I mean, so much food, so much of the food we eat is grown in Central and South America, but they don't make any fucking profit off of it because they're still paying back loans. Anyways, here, here's where it gets sticky. Sticky, icky. Okay, so the tendency for, for the rate of profit to fall, as described in Marx's Capital and elsewhere, came to fruition in the 70s as fucking all the markets collapsed because everybody's... <laughs> Everybody's going to feel the effects of the uh, American economy collapsing. And the Western world responded by fully embracing and propagating the economic principles of neoliberalism. So following the Thatcherite restructuring of domestic economies in America and Europe, and that's austerity, corporate tax cuts, means testing, union busting, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Particularly Reagan's foreign policy utilized the World Bank and IMF to subject sub-Saharan Africa to what are called structural adjustment programs or SAPs. It's not like they were brand new, but it really ramped up this very specific policy prescription. The conditionalities attached to these SAPs gave development financing over to the private sector. Economies in the impoverished global south were reoriented as to become dependent on foreign investment and exports. And um, if you remember episode 12 of the Epoch of Ingenuity, these were the conditions. Oh, on, That's so long ago. It's a throwback, I know. These were the conditions under which the pan-African Marxist-Leninist Thomas Sankara rose to power in the former French colony of Upper Volta, which is now Burkina Faso, the land of upright man. Um, in episode 12, we covered Sankara's revolutionary program to liberate the Burkinabe people from colonial exploitation, the IMF, the World Bank, paving the way for Burkinabe autonomy with domestic production, gender equality, railway infrastructure, reforestation, education, vaccination programs, among other reforms, because the French were fucking had hollowed this nation out. They were not producing anything for themselves anymore. They imported all their food. Their forests were getting cut down for lumber. And Thomas Sankara, basically his area of expertise outside of Marxism-Leninism was agriculture. So the reforms that he did in the few years that he was in power were fucking incredible for restoring autonomy to these people. And it fucking sucks that he got killed. I still, I get like emotional about it because... He could have done so much good. Fuck Blaze Compare. Anyways. Uh, what episode was it? Go back and listen to that episode. I think it was episode 12. Oh, right. So, like I said, I don't want to get too much into the... I'm dumb. ...into the explicit, uh, explicitly militaristic stuff. So we're going to skip over all the, you know, heinous atrocities committed by U.S.-backed militias in the name of decommunization during this period. It was bad. It was really heavy. <laughs> But just know that Reagan was intimately involved in engineering and funding many of these operations, though he was by no means the first. Um, and if you want more information on that, you can listen to the Contragate episodes of the Marxist Menagerie for an overview of some of these events and the role of the CIA throughout. A lot of it has to do with drug money. Nice. So in the ensuing decade that is after Reagan, the Uruguay round of the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, or GATT, 
developed yet another foundational neoliberal framework known as the World Trade Organization. The WTO, World Trade Organization, officially launched on New Year's Day, 1995, with this is a weird number because like fucking the Soviet Union and Yugoslavia dissolved over that period of time. Uh, So 76 of the what was 123 at the beginning and would be become 128 GATT participants as founding members, plus the European communities and the EU was doubly represented. So um, the numbers are fucked. But the remaining 51 countries involved in uh, those that round of agreements, they would join over the next two years. And um, today, 2022, right? That's sound. That's weird. 2022. A total of 164 states yeah. are World Trade Organization. I, I had that moment during the meeting earlier. Yeah, it's it weird. sounds like there's too many. It's too big of a number. It's too big. It's too big. We got to make it small. <laughs> so, so today, modern day, a total of 164 states are WTO members and 24 additionally are considered observers, which means that they are or will soon be in negotiations for full membership, uh, at least in theory. Trade agreements between member com- member trade agreements between member countries have furthered the grasp of transnational corporations and made developing nations more vulnerable to serious agricultural and economic crises. And I would say plus global warming. That's another fucking. It's another pretty serious issue that's contributing to this. With poverty, bankruptcy, and unemployment effectively destroying productive forces around the world, because as monopolies move in with proprietary technology. Smaller producers are forced to dump their agricultural surplus, convert their crops, and submit to contractual obligations, while subsistence farmers, or peasants, if you want to call them that, are forcibly displaced en masse. And I think this is one of the reasons that the uh, that Vietnam poses, like, from the United States perspective, it's threatening when a country as big as populous as Vietnam is agriculturally self-sustained. And their agriculture accounts for some three quarters of their economy. So pretty fucking dope. Pretty based. But yeah, um, so going back to the sad stuff <laughs> so domestic production um in these in sad these nations that are being fucking taken over by tncs transnational corporations is supplanted by imports of food and commodities from first world nations unburdened by tariffs so like we do not feel the additional economic strain of the shit that we export because we have liberalized trade so thoroughly throughout the world in part by basically saying protectionism is fucking basically illegal. Like if you expect to receive a single handout, then you are going to do business on our terms. So to sort of wrap this up, the economic framework adopted by Washington-based institutions for imposition upon the global south, primarily the global south, was a set of policy prescriptions known as the Washington Consensus. I, I'll just read the, the 10 core tenets of the Washington Consensus verbatim. One, fiscal policy discipline with avoidance of large fiscal deficits relative to GDP. So basically, you can't, you can't even attempt to spend more money than more money than you generate Two, redirection of public spending from subsidies especially indiscriminate subsidies toward broad-based provision of key pro-growth pro-poor services like primary education primary health care and infrastructure investment so again that is 
uh, redirection of public spending from subsidies away from those good public programs. Three, tax reform, broadening the tax base and adopting moderate marginal tax rates. Because you can't the rich you can't tax the rich. That can't do that. Four, interest rates that are market determined and positive, but moderate in real terms. And who the fuck decides what real terms are? I don't know. Five competitive exchange rates because you got to do the free market thing six trade liberalization liberalization of imports with particular emphasis on elimination of quantitative restrictions licensing etc because fucking that's the united states's job we do the quantitative restrictions we do the ip any trade protection to be provided by low and relatively uniform tariffs because we're we're not going to feel the heat from that you know we want the freedom to exploit you freely that's that's what freedom is. Seven, liberalization of inward foreign direct investments. You know, because our business guys need to be able to fucking make a few extra bucks, skim a little bit off the top, maybe come to an agreement with a uh, powerful politician. Who knows? Eight, privatization of state enterprises. Of course, because the last thing that you want your industry to benefit is the, the, the country. Pri- you know, you can't trust the state with its own money. Nine, deregulation. Abolition of regulations that impede market entry or restrict competition. Fucking ironic, by the way. Except for those justified on safety, environmental, and consumer protection grounds. You mean basically all of them. And <laughs> prudential oversight of financial institutions. Which, I think, given the recent Supreme Court rulings, Prud- is prudential, pretty uh, fucking oversight ironic. of financial institutions. Never heard of that. Yeah, that's dangerous, says Milton Friedman. <laughs> <laughs> Ten, legal security for property rights is mandatory. That is like, that is just like the definition of just throwing anti-communism into its own thing. These prescriptions paved the way for American-based corporations such as Pfizer, Monsanto, 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 and DuPont to cement themselves as the primary beneficiaries of TRIPS, which was the agreement on trade-related aspects of intellectual property rights even though rights ends with R, not S, but whatever. Right. Patents on life-saving technology and even literal life forms. Think about that. Patenting a fucking genome thus became lucrative sources of income, and the health hazards of chemical manufacturing could be outsourced to nations already struggling with sickness and poverty. And uh, I, immediately when I saw DuPont in the text, I was thinking, wasn't there something that happened in fucking India? Wasn't there something... That killed a bunch of people. And yeah, Dow, Dow Chemical and DuPont, which actually merged into a single company in 2015, as if they, you know, John Rockefeller was cool, I guess, are both responsible for immeasurable amounts of damage to the global ecosystem from the fueling of the Nazi war machine, the development of the hydrogen bomb, the manufacture of carcinogenic Teflon and ozone depleting refrigerants, to facilitating the greatest industrial disaster in fucking history, which was the methyl isocyanate leak in Bhopal, India. But uh, that's a story for another day. <sighs> yeah. Is it is it Joe's turn to go off? To I think Joe it's Joe's off? turn to go off. To Joe off. Okay, then. Uh, I will preface this by saying that mine oh, will be a lot shorter me. because oh. uh, a lot of what I would be covering has already been covered. And also because I was asked to give more of a uh, bigger picture. I basically said to Joe, like, can you fucking explain finance capital? Can you explain what the banks do? And he said, sure. Because I don't, that shit is like, I, I just, I cannot wrap my brain around. Okay, well, before we get 
too deep into this. Uh, Maggie's gonna go to bed, so. Oh. Good night, comrade. Uh, Thank you. I'm sorry I'm sleepy. It's, it's okay. okay. Thank you for shitting on Elon Musk with us. Yes. Yeah, no <laughs> side of it is probably gonna be a lot shorter because i was was asked to give a, like a broad overview rather than like get sucked into the details because honestly i could very well just get sucked into a wikipedia hold about all this shit <laughs> dude it's so tough to parse out what's important and what's not uh i don't all think most person, people go off about that wiki hole i don't think most people realize this but uh the eu nearly collapsed in uh 2009 because of the the way the monetary system works. Because of the fact that uh, there's this entity known as the European Central Bank. It is basically the European Union's equivalent to the Federal Reserve. And as I already touched on very briefly, all central banks, when they do like currency reserve transfers, they're always done in dollars. So the European Central Bank pretty much ran out of dollars to do currency exchanges in. And so the United, so the Federal Reserve Bank had to gift the European Central Bank tens of millions of dollars to ensure that the European Central Bank wouldn't run out of money to do currency exchanges in mm. at one point. So imperialism so has a lot to do with money. <laughs> yeah, dude. Fucking, we are the only country with the luxury of truly being able to control the value of the dollar. Like, we can print our own currency at will. So every country that does trade or financial transactions using the United States dollar is just at the fucking mercy of the American economy. It really is. Like, when, like, the European Central Bank has to do a transfer, they have to convert from euros to dollars and then from dollars to whatever currency they will be tr- making the uh, exchange in. Are you, are, you going, are you taking a field trip or something, Joe? No, I'm just sitting down. Okay. Joe's taking a tour. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just just getting a new beer. New topic, new beer. <laughs> so uh, I start off with this example because of the fact that what I want to talk about is how the Eurozone crisis is a good example of financial imperialism. In fact, actually, in I think it was like 2014 or 2015. Exactly. 2014 to 2015, you had European central bankers from Germany joking that they were better at regime change than the Americans, was the exact quote. We're better at regime change than the Americans, just by using money. (sighs) That's a bold bold fucking claim. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm ready to hear this out. (laughs) So, uh... It was actually very targeted. Like uh, the European Central Bank, in conjunction with the IMF, crushed the Greek economy and forced the PASOK government out. PASOK, well, I can't even remember if they're still around because they really did implode uh, in the early 2010s, and they were pretty much replaced on the left and the Greek left by Syriza. PASOK was like the socialist party of Greece. They were like center left relative to the Greek political spectrum. And uh, Greece was really crushed, but like it was like a one-two punch of austerity. And also France and Germany were using uh, Greece as a pretext to dump bad loans, like subprime mortgage loans from large German and French finance institutes. And they took those loans and they clumped them into the uh, to the IMF debt package that they made Greece uh, agree to. 
So Greece is being forced to pay down its own debt and also pay down the bad bank debt for French and German banks on top of their own debt. And they were forced to agree to austerity. And then in a later round of debt relief packages, they were forced to agree to partial privatization of public services. Oof. Which is why... Uh, you hate to see it, yeah. Which is why the Greek economy has been in the shits for the past decade or so, because they have just been crushed. In fact, actually in 2015, I remember because I saw news coverage of this when I was in Ireland, the uh, Greek Syriza government actually held a referendum over the, the debt situation, like uh, whether to default on, on Greece's debt so they wouldn't have to be like under the boot of the European Central Bank and the IMF. And... The yes campaign, which was yes to default, actually won. But then the prime minister caved, and the finance minister Yanis Varoufakis was subsequently fired as a concession, and they caved. But uh, like that's how bad it got. That is pretty like direct regime change. Just like yeah, this guy has to go. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, other governments that were toppled by the IMF and the European Central Bank. The government in. Ireland collapsed uh, and was replaced by a center-right government. And uh, I was in Ireland like seven years later. And the healthcare system was still suffering like the aftershocks of all of the austerity that Ireland suffered. You had to use Irish healthcare? Well, no, my uh, my cousin did. What did they do? They just give him some Baileys? And- <laughs> no, he had like uh, gastroenteritis. Oh. Yeah, but what was the care? No, like was the it, was it, was public he- public healthcare system had uh, been like basically gutted because mm-hmm. Ireland was subjected to it. An- right, so then they they put some Baileys in his coffee and told and and yeah, told him to go home, <laughs> sleep it off, chap. Like the Irish economy is still recovering from. I mean, that's a big part of why Sinn Fein has become so popular because they're the only party that is aggressively campaigning against austerity and also didn't have anything to do with the austerity. Yeah, that is like automatic credibility. We didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like Fiona File and uh, Fine Gael were very, very much involved with the austerity regime. So like Fiona File. In Spain, Spain was subjected to pretty bad austerity. That also caused the government to collapse. And the austerity they suffered was so bad that uh, for years, un- national unemployment was like at 27%. Like the second worst in uh, Western Europe, second to only like Greece itself. Portugal was another instance of financial imperialism. The Portuguese government was overthrown and the new one wasn't allowed to take power until after they had agreed to an IMF debt package that required them to engage in some austerity. It's so fucked up, dude. So you have all of these instances of... And the way that these packages were uh, were done is usually it was taking, like, German debt and forcing it onto other countries, moving the money around so that the German economy would prosper from the, the misfortune of other countries in the Eurozone. And uh, it's convenient how... Most of the countries who were subjected to, like, the worst forms of austerity had left-wing governments. Very convenient. Yeah, you gotta love it. That's what they're gonna do to it. So what's mm-hmm. speci- so now that I've touched on the story, like, you know, depicting how, like, financial imperialism, when the state is involved, works, what specific questions do you have for me about how financial capitalism works? Um, well, I don't it's know, like... charm. It's fucked... <laughs> like, I get... It's almost, like, unanswerable because... I just wish I, I had more insight into how big fucking private banks are 
are involved in like doling out loans to these huge shit companies that can only survive because they end up monopolizing the industry. Basically, how do how do zombie corporations or how is that allowed to proliferate? <laughs> yeah, like how can banks just just do that? You know, like there's no there's no like there's how is there no mechanism to like it's pretty clear especially like after the ppp loan that's such a ridiculous acronym um the no pp as our (laughs) ex-president once said (laughs) but like the the small business loans for the covid bailouts the fucking (sighs) banks got like they basically the the government entrusted fucking like yeah. JP Morgan Chase to pick which businesses would be recipients of huge loans during COVID, and of course they prioritized huge businesses. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like and got away with it. Like how? How does that well, happen? The, the system. Well, since two thousand eight, two thousand eight really changed everything because interest rates were dropped in order to mm-hmm. like keep everything afloat. And so everyone got used to being able to take out really big loans on the cheap and basically not have to worry about paying them back. And so this, like, proliferated this whole system where, like, everybody was just assuming that the the music wasn't going to stop. And then all of a sudden, it did. <laughs> and now we're seeing the the after effect of that, essentially. That's the, that's the shortest answer I can give, if that makes sense. It does make sense, and it's like it's so fucked up because the United States is still in the position where, basically, still being the arbiter of global finance, it has the most unhinged fucking fucking like. We really do have like the worst system possible. It's just like, like there is zero accountability, and yet we're the ones in charge. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing. So wild, dude. <laughs> and it's just under all of these layers of obfuscation. To the point where you can't actually see unless it is voluntarily released. Unless there's a serious investigation and the you know government spends a bunch of money to follow a bunch of leads and actually like put people on the stand and do a bunch of cross references. Like we don't know. Like everybody just uses a shell company, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we don't actually know exactly who is involved in the movement of money from the fed to wherever it ends up like we just know that these corporations are getting money from somebody they're skimming pretty much everything i I don't even want to say skimming everything off the top they're just sucking all of the fucking surplus profits out of whatever loans they're given barely expected to pay anything back in fact almost all of the loans were forgiven so it's basically free money yeah, like they they only pay back enough to like yield a profit to the fucking banks that loaned them the money. Basically, it's an investment opportunity for the bank, and none of the employees end up making out with any of that fabricated profit, you know? It's just so fucking wild. And it's so hard to understand because it's not actually real. Like because the United <laughs> yeah, I know. the United States like being in the seat of power and the dollar isn't attached to fucking anything except for just- how how much of itself exists. Which well, actually, at this point, uh, the U.S. dollar is tied to the uh, faith in the U.S. government's continued existence. Right. Sorry, it's tied to yeah. faith. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, f- faith in the uh, like faith and credit of the U.S. government. So basically, it means like so long as like the U.S. government as an institution doesn't like 
completely collapse into rubble tomorrow, as long as it mm. continues to exist, the dollar will still have value. That's literally all it's tied to. Hmm. So it's like not even t- it's like tied to like this abstract idea that's never going to happen. Dude, shit sucks. I don't even know. Like it's just so <laughs> it's absurd on so many levels. But it's fucked up because it has real world impacts on working people around the world. There are people who are going to fucking die of malnutrition because because the re- the Fed is raising interest rates. Yeah, because the fucking country that they live in is like for the foreseeable future in a never-ending cycle of debt owed to the United States, which does not have its shit together by any means. It's just a way to to exploit cheap labor, raw materials, and... Let's let's be real. The United States hasn't had its shit together since, like, 1940. Yeah. 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 Well, there was was a brief period in the 50s. Not really. I mean, the concessions to the white people was... Yes, yeah, you know, yeah. it was okay. it was fear. Good, good, good. It was fear of communism. That's really what <laughs> got us as far as it did then. Uh, <laughs> so, what did we learn? The money is uh, tied to these things in ways that I couldn't possibly imagine, and it's fucking nightmarish. And this is why I don't know anything about these things because, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Scott has learned why I'm always tired and grumpy because I actually read about this shit. It makes you don't me have to be tired and grumpy about it. You can just. Well, I mean, I'm tired because, like, Alma's spine, my fibromyalgia, yeah. but, like, I'm grumpy because, like, this shit is, like, wildly insane. Yeah. Trying to, like, absorb all this information comprehensively for the first time without... I mean, I had, like, a couple of guiding texts, but it was... It just feels like some arcane system that was, like, specifically formulated to fucking confuse poor people so much that they would never be able to claw their way out of debt and subservience like Mm. and it just casts all of the blame onto war victims like what the fuck i mean the nature of like this this stage of capitalism is like constantly trying to find something else to blame but itself yeah because if people started you know putting two and two together the legitimacy of the system becomes you know in question yeah so listeners if this was all confusing and it hurt your tummy it doesn't have to be like this (laughs) There's a, there's a more simple way to fucking determine collectively what we value and not give money that is pegged to faith to some fucking bald guy to, like, go to space. Yeah, Jeff Bezos, fuck you. Yeah. All right. Fuck, fuck, fuck you know, me. I think that's funny that you mentioned, like, pegged to faith because that makes me think of, like, my cortisone rejection, like, medical questionnaires. What are some things that help? Faith is one of the answers. One of the things you can circle. <laughs> that will never stop being funny for me. Freedoms. The freedom to have the faith that I believe my back will get better. Yeah. <laughs> Not the freedom to get the medicine or the surgeries to get the back better. But yeah, that's faith. Yeah. It's the most holistic healing you can hope for. What's painfully ironic for me is that I work at a Pfizer facility that also manufactures cortisone, but I can't get the can't cortisone get without jumping through all these hoops. That was something that I wish I could have gotten into more intellectual property because, like, that is probably the biggest bullshit in its most potent fucking form, intellectual property. That is just, we know how to do this. You can't, you can't have it. You're not allowed. You can't copy us. No. The, pe- the, the, the way that we wield patents as weapons is disgusting. Seriously fucking disgusting. Disgusting! It's like, we're smarter than you, so 
you know, the profits go to none of the labor, none of the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into manufacturing the products that we need for R&D. Like, I think of the Pfizer vaccine, honestly, it's like the primary example of that. Yeah, precisely. That was why I included the TRIPS thing. Like, intellectual property is another way to exploit the rest of the world for profit when there is no more profit to actually be gained from the material world commodify fucking information it doesn't cost anything to make a copy of a you know the windows operating system but you're effectively charging like i don't know how many hundreds of dollars for a fucking cd you know what i mean for fucking information our study it's fucked up yeah man and that's a good place to end it it is with the fucked up society what you gonna do you re uh, public domain you know public domain science communism yeah you guys know what Cuba did? Cuba made like five different COVID vaccines and right. shared them with the world for the fucking embetterment of global health. Yeah, baby. You love it. You don't have to do anything. You just love to see it. Oh, baby, it's hot and we love it. And my name is Scott. You can find me on the internet at Sweaty Wife, which I am right now. Anywhere you go, put that name in, I'm probably there. Who knows? Joe, what do you know? You're on the internet. I know that it's like 90 degrees where I am, but I'm hiding in air conditioning, so I'm like not really noticing it. Joe is inside his AC Luxuries of man. Yeah, I know. Joe's drowning in the refrigerants that fucked up the ozone layer. Yeah. Oops. It's okay. I've looked, the outside of my building looks like shit because I just leave the AC on like year round. And now there's just <laughs> this like green slime that has just eaten part of the building away on its side. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> but, but anyways. Yeah. I am Joe. You can find me on the internet on Twitter at JLFB96. Uh, I have an Instagram at JLFB1996. Yeah. 15 year old me was very lazy at uh, coming up with these handles. And he's Jesse. Yeah, I'm Jesse. You can find my music at soundcloud.com slash contingents Boston, C O N T I N G E N C E Boston. Remember to hit up comrade rosy.org. Getting involved tab. One or more mutual aid groups. Donate your time, labor, and money because we're in here right now. And I do have the same recommendation this evening. Oh, God. And this one is fucking incredible. Oh. I love these guys. You love them. Your same recommendation for the week is... The album entitled... Subjugated into Obedience. Very, <laughs> very fitting. Very yeah. fucking animated. And the band is Chordotomy. Um, I know they are one of our like weirdo fucking European guys, so we're gonna look at this. Bavaria. Hmm. Hello. I mean if these if these folks find folks uh hail from there, then it must be a great country. Yes. Uh <laughs> Well, the country of origin is Germany, but oh well. I mean, you know, it's, think about Germany, but I don't know. I've, I've seen, I've seen break like. Break it up. Some of their shows are like fucking awesome. Like 
It's like this weird, they just don't give a fuck about what's happening around the stage. They love it. And I love it too. That's how death metal should be. Just fucking weird pink shit and just who, I don't give a shit if some guy's overdosing on cocaine and on the mic. Whatever. If you can do the death growl, then that's good enough for us. The ultimate mic drop. Yeah. Ultimate mic drop. Every week yes. we say the ultimate mic drop is a cocaine overdose. Anyways, yeah. <coughs> Every week we say, but tank dough. No, where can where, where Oh, can fuck, we I'm found? sorry. Oh, well, shit, I'm sorry. <laughs> we can find, you can be found right wherever you are right now listening to us. And we can be found on Patreon at Epic Incredulity. We can be found on all of the social medias at the same tag. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube. Uh, please go to Comrade Dash rosie.org just invent a unicode character <laughs> fuck you guys yes comrade dash rosie.org and you know get involved is that not the fucking website no it is that was correct god damn it get involved <laughs> sign up for mutual aid do whatever the fuck you want hang out with your comrades your dsa folks if you want to or don't who gives a shit but fight put your shit together and fight against Join a union, do whatever. It's fucking, all fun. If we topple the United States, like that <laughs> liberates the rest of the happen. fucking world, okay? Uh, that's gonna take a long time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and every week we say, I mean, you know, yeah, but if, you know, but tank dough, if we all had tanks dough, maybe but we could tank do it. Hey, we arrived at something. Yeah, but tank dough, it's really hot, and that's your epoch. Have a good, whatever time of day it is that you're listening to it. Have a good night, evening, morning, post uh enjoyment, whatever the fuck. I don't give a shit. Enjoy it. And that's how the outro goes. Soundboard back online. <laughs> you can give us some farts and shit. I and could find the farting. Do the fart. Prankster? Is that what it's called? Do, do the fart. Do the fart. Do the fart. Do the do the do the, do the, do the fart farting guys get getting into a fight and farting. Oh, that's gonna be hard because that's like too oh fuck. It's gonna no, it's gonna be too hard. <laughs> I have to like. <laughs> I have to jump between too many sound noises at once. <laughs> oh, please, please try it. Please try it. I want to hear. Excuse you. <laughs> oh god, dude, don't pass out, dude. Oh, <laughs> That's enough. That's right. uh, yeah, seriously. So I'm. Yeah, it's so I'm so fucking drained.